0: Psalm 95, starting in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. God of grace, I ask that you would give grace Today, as we consider the psalms, the psalm and God and maybe even more uh, grace as this psalm considers us, tests our hearts and our minds, God I I ask that you would guard uh, me from simply imposing or injecting my own thoughts and ideas. But God, that your word would resound. Your your word would be made known to your people. Uh, We thank you that the Holy Spirit does that exact thing. He illumines the scriptures for us. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us what is true and good here. That you would also apply it to our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you might use this time for your glory and the good of Crossroads Bible Church. In Jesus' name, amen. I admit this sermon is this sermon's a bit out of my norm and out of my comfort zone um, because I, I think that Psalm 95 is something that God wants our church to hear. And, and I say that with a bit of reservation, right, because God wants us to hear all of his word. <laughs> and so to say God wants us to hear this is sort of a, a given. Um, but, but maybe I say that in a sense that I, I, say, I, I think God wants us to focus here. There's, there's something here that God wants us to hear, um, I intended to preach a psalm or two this month while we were sort of taking a break from 1 Corinthians. And I wasn't really set on which psalms I would preach. I picked 143. We did that last week. and But but in the midst of some turmoil that was in my own heart and some prayer, some desperate prayer before the Lord, uh, a little worship chorus came to mind. The, the chorus is, come, let us worship and bow down. And children of the 90s, that's playing in your head now, right? You, you know this. We probably a lot of you know this. It's simply verse 6 uh, and 7 of Psalm 95. And, and when, I, when that was in my mind, I thought, man, that's from the Psalms. That's what I want to preach when I go to the Psalms. And so, you know, it could be my selfish motives that led me here. And so if that is the case, forgive me. Uh, I hope, though, it's the Holy Spirit. I, I really hope that this is something that God is giving to me to, to focus on in Psalm 95 to then give to you. So that's why we're here. Now, my natural course on a normal Sunday, a lot of you know this, our, our guests, maybe you don't know this, but my natural course is just start working through the psalm, drawing out what is true, showing you what is there, applying it, uh, drawing a path to the Lord Jesus, showing how this, this psalm is a song of praise to the, the risen Christ and, and how it's a prayer for the saints, all those sorts of things. But I'm really not going to do that today. That's not. I'll do some of that. Um, but what I want to do instead is lay out for you why I was in turmoil and prayer, and show you how God the Spirit is using this psalm to answer my prayer. Um, So I guess if if you're a visitor today, and I've got some visitors here, glad to see you guys. Like I'm sorry, this is a little personal, um, but I hope the Lord, personal to me and to to our church, but we welcome you into that with us. Um, I really hope, ultimately, you'll join me in turmoil and prayer and answer. That's what we're going to do. Ultimately, we want to get to Christ. We want want him to be our shepherd. We are the sheep of his hand. My responsibility as an under-shepherd of Christ is to lead you to green pastures. That's what I'm, I'm wanting to do. So follow me as I follow Christ. The turmoil in my heart and the desperate prayer before God was and is on account of worship at Crossroads Bible Church. Worship specifically, though all of life is worship and greeting and fellowship is worship, Uh, specifically what happens from the call to worship on Sunday morning through the benediction. What we do on the Lord's day when we gather in the presence of God for His praise on account of His grace in the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by by worship. I was in turmoil because I'm wondering if some of what we do here is actually pushing some of our beloved church members away from worship instead of drawing them into it. Now maybe you, you say, well, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. That is not my experience. And to praise God for that. Like that, I don't expect everybody to feel the same. Um, but I know that there are people in our church who are in turmoil. There are people who have left our church over this exact turmoil. Some of them have come to talk to me. And, and honestly, the people who have talked to me, I have no way want to rebuke you. I want to encourage you. As a matter of fact, um, people have come to me with grace. And brotherly love and said, brother, I'm, I'm concerned about something, and I, I want to know how we can address it. And honestly, I, I just praise God for brothers and sisters who are willing to speak up, even when it might hurt my feelings. Um, and, and I, I also, uh, wisdom says, if some people are saying something, other people aren't, but have the same concerns, right? So it seems appropriate to me to address the issue. And I've told a lot of people, I don't really know what to do uh, about the concerns, but I'm starting here, starting in Psalm 95. I want to fix our hearts and minds on the goal, the end. Right? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That, that's what I want for me and you, us together. Worship of the Lord. So again, a lot of backstory on this, but, but the concern that's come to me as short as I can say it is this, that our forms of worship stifle or have stifled the heart of worship. The forms of worship stifle the heart of worship. And, and by forms, I mean the things we do, like prayers, songs, readings, sermons, the Lord's Supper, those things we do. By heart, I mean the response to God from those things. So the emotional, physical, mental, spiritual response, like, so things like, like joy, peace, love, sacrifice, conviction. I've got a long list. Repentance, praise, unity. These are, these are heart responses to the forms of worship that we have and that we do. And, and we don't want this to be in conflict, right? That should seem logical. We want, instead, the forms of our worship to excite in us a heart of worship to God. So if there's a disconnect, if the forms are stifling the heart, we've got to work with that. We, we have to address that. We need to address both the forms and the heart. And and honestly, today, I'm going to press on the heart. Because that's where Psalm 95 guides us. Look at verse 9. Sorry, verse 8. Listen to this warning. Do not harden your hearts. That's the danger. That's what we need to avoid. We don't want to be like Israel in the wilderness. The greatest danger, said again in verse 10, is that we would be a people who go astray in our hearts. I don't want that. I don't want that for you, or for me, for our church. So That's why we're going to really hopefully dig into the heart. But I, I, do, I do need to say something about the forms of worship. Um, because I, I, take some, I take a lot of responsibility, if not all the responsibility, over the last about four or five years, I have made a lot of changes to our church's liturgy. And not, not without the approval of our church leaders, or elders, um, not without, without working together. But, but honestly, the genesis for these changes came from my own personal theological journey. So just, just a little side note, liturgy is a word that simply means the forms of worship, the order of worship, the schedule. Every church has a liturgy. Whether they've written it out or not, every church has a liturgy. Just a word that we use to describe forms. I'm going to use the word forms because liturgy is a word that's often misunderstood. Um, but I'll tell you why. I've been here seven years. I realized very early when I came to Crossroads Bible Church that the people of Crossroads Bible Church were mostly committed to Sunday morning, but it was nearly impossible to get them to show up to anything at any other time, and and I'm not saying that to fault them. I I do, praise God, we have grown from that, and I do think that's healthy and good, Um, but because of that, um, I, I, I thought I need to if all I've got is Sunday morning to lead these people into God's word, into God's ways, we need to make Sunday morning as biblical and rich and robust and helpful as possible. Right? And, and I do still think, absolutely, that the Lord's Day worship is the primary gathering of the church and it is the primary place of discipleship in the church. So, so I focused my attention. I said, I'm the pastor. This is my job. Let's make Sunday morning as healthy and biblical as we can. So I started just by asking my own question. Well, what... What, what do we do on Sunday morning and why? What do we do on the Lord's Day and why? How can we maybe grow or mature? And, and I mean, a basic searching of the scriptures, really we did, we're doing well, preaching, singing, prayer. Those things were all present, biblical, the Lord's Supper. But uh, in my study, I was really challenged by the word of God, by members in our church and by church history, uh, that perhaps the Bible calls us to more in worship. That there's, there's, there's things in worship that we're missing there are forms of worship missing from what I would call a basic 21st century American evangelical liturgy. Well, that's what we kind of had maybe four or five years ago, and I've made some changes. So here's, here are, I'm gonna, I've got a list of six, six forms of worship that were not present back in those days. Number one, a greeting or a call to worship. Number two, a corporate confession of sin. Which would then bring us into God's mercy. And these all have historical roots and biblical roots. Number three, a reciting of creeds. Number four, set prayers, repeated prayers, or that, like, focused prayers, or specifically the Lord's Prayer, which I didn't put in the prayer guides for today, Eric. That, that Eric was uh, you know going renegade on me. But praise God for that, brother. Like I'm hearing the Lord's prayer and I know it's coming to my sermon. I'm like, yes, Jesus told us to pray this. And we all know it in the King James, apparently. So, uh, which is, good. <laughs> that's, I grew up by the little church, same, same thing. Um, so, I mean, that, that though is so common throughout church history that the church would just say the Lord's Prayer every single week and not just the Roman church, all Christians, uh, and especially after the Reformation. So that's number four, set prayers. Number five, the singing of Psalms. And number six, a benediction. Those, those were all biblical forms of prayer that as I, I started looking, and, and those are common in most Christian traditions, throughout church history because they have roots in the scriptures. So I said, well, we should start doing that. I started implementing these over time um, with our own expressions, right? So instead of the historic creeds, although we do the apostles and the Nicene Creed from time to time, uh, we mostly focus on our church's statement of faith, uh, which has good historical roots as well. Um, and anyway, I'm giving you all that history. Again, this is not my normal, normal pattern, but, but I'm giving you that history in, in part so you know how, where we've come, but also to apologize to those in our church, uh, because I didn't invite you on that journey with me. I went on this theological you know, journey to figure out what worship is, and I didn't, didn't lead well. I didn't teach well. I simply changed, and that is unkind, and so I hope you'll forgive me, um, and I hope I've asked that of, of others as well, um, and I want to remedy that. We have to. I want to go back and do some more teaching and help explain some things and put that biblical and historical roots underneath what we do um, so you have to tell me, though, what would be helpful. So you have to say, hey, you should preach some sermons on that, or you should write some articles, or make some classes, or do some videos, or whatever would, would be helpful to you. I want to take you on this journey, too, because I, I think where we have arrived as a church is biblical and beautiful, and I want to help you see it and enjoy it. So that's, about, that's, that's the forms. That, there's my little note on the forms. Let's focus instead on the heart, and here's why. The heart of worship is more significant than the forms of worship. The heart of worship is more significant than the forms of worship. Until our hearts are stirred by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we aren't worshiping, no matter how right we are in what we do. Which means if there's a problem, fixing the forms of our worship will do no good if our hearts are cold. Making good and biblical changes to worship will do no good if our hearts are hard because if, if our hearts are eager for the joyful pursuit of God you will worship whether the forms of worship are satisfying to you or not whether they're well thought out or not but but see if if your heart is only stirred by singing your favorite songs or by a certain atmosphere that you would walk into or by a certain tradition that you love i'm just telling you brother sister because i love you like you have a serious heart issue that's a serious heart issue. Because I love you, I'm gonna, I think Psalm ninety-five can lead us to a solution like that. That gets us back to those two warnings from verse eight: "Do not harden your hearts," as at Merivah, and verse ten: "Do not be a people who go astray in your heart." So, as I went to Psalm ninety-five, thinking verse six: "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down." I thought, let's let's talk about why we worship. Um, what what really a wrench in my plans is verse 7, the end of verse 7 and through the end of the chapter. Like, why, after all these pleas for Israel come, worship, sing, make a joyful noise, does God kind of kick it into a minor key and say, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't be like the Israelite generation in the wilderness. So I kind of, I showed up to 95 looking for instructions on worship, perhaps to justify my own positions and changes. And instead, I found a test for my heart. And that's what I want to share with you and invite you into. So I, I've, I've distilled this into six questions um, from Psalm 95 to check your heart of worship. And I hope you'll use these questions to check yours. N- not just like, not as a test to see, can I answer the questions based on what he said, um, but a test to say, if, if I go back, you know, two hours ago, a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, what would my, how would my heart have answered these questions? And perhaps, by God's grace, we would repent, we would find joy, we would grow together. So discuss these with your family, with your friends after church, uh, today after worship. Um, and and I, hope, I hope through this, maybe you'd pray that the Lord would show you areas of your heart where your heart could be hardened, and, and he would soften it. So I'm, I'm going to trust that the Lord will work. So here's the six questions from Psalm 95. Number, question number one. Why do I worship God? These are questions for yourself to ask ask yourself. Why do I worship God? Psalm 95 verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. I'm, I'm making an assumption that you come to worship on the Lord's day because you're here to worship the Lord. My assumption of Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here, I hope it's because you're considering worshiping the Lord. Like, this is the question. You're going, is there a God that I should be worshiping? That is a wonderful, wonderful question to ask. It is great to seek and to try to learn and understand. And honestly, the prayer of Christians for non-Christians is that they would be worshipers. Christians, this is why we share the gospel. This is why we send missionaries. Because worship of the Lord needs to happen. God is seeking worshipers, Jesus said. But if you're a Christian, and you came here to do something other than worship the Lord, whatever those reasons are, whatever those motivations are, you have to kill them. You need to repent. Come worship the Lord. Check your motives. Why? I didn't ask, who did you come to worship? I'm assuming that asked why. One of the ways I, I try to keep my motives in check, and you can already tell I stumble over this all the time because of many, many, many years of habits, is to, uh, to call it worship. So I'm, I'm not coming to church. I'm not going to work. am not coming to serve. I'm coming to worship. The other three are all true. right? But, but, but at the heart of it, I'm coming to worship. So I'm working on that, my own change, just to keep my motives in check. I came here to worship. Now, the question is why? Psalm 95, verse 3 gives us an answer. Actually, a lot of passages in Psalm 95, but verse 3. Why do we worship? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. We worship the Lord because he alone is God. He is supreme, he is exalted, he is sovereign, he is God. That's why we worship. We also worship because we have seen his work. You heard this warning in verse 9, right? that your fathers put me to the test. Though they had seen my work, it's part of the rebuke, Because the truth is, even though we've seen God's glorious work, we're prone to question Him. We're prone to complain about Him. We're prone to even test Him. And you may not have seen the parting of the Red Sea or the ten plagues, but you have seen forgiveness of your sins. You have seen God making you new by the Holy Spirit. You have seen salvation and reconciliation and the love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have seen His works. That's why I frequently say we have to behold what God has done to motivate our worship. We also worship the Lord because we've heard his voice today. If you hear his voice, it isn't as if God hasn't spoken. He has. The question is whether or not we're listening. We worship the Lord because we have heard his voice. We're going to come back to that. We worship the Lord also because we know him. Worship is not hoping that somehow we might be able to find God. Worship it rises out of the fact that we know Him. We have faith in Him. We love Him. We trust Him. We've been adopted into His family. This is why we worship Him as the rock of our salvation. Right? We as Christians didn't say, verse 1, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. See, uh, at Meribah and Massa, that's that story that Eric read for us, um, the Israelites drank water from a rock. They were thirsty. They were dying of thirst. They needed salvation. The rock gave them water. God gave them water and it saved them physically. And the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 draws a straight line to the Lord Jesus Christ and says Jesus is the rock. He is the one who gives us life. Which then we can apply this to the Lord Jesus. He is our shepherd as he said himself. He is the good shepherd. We are the sheep of his hand. He leads us into eternal rest. So we worship the Lord because we know him. Because he has saved us. This is why our worship must be gospel-centered. That's sort of a, a new, trendy word, but it's a helpful one because we worship God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's centered on the gospel because Jesus is the one who brings us to know God. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. Like The gospel of Jesus Christ is our greatest why for worship. Because in Christ, we find the fullest expression of who God is we see the mightiest of God's works and Christ is the saving word of God so why do you worship why do you worship question number two what do I think worship is what do I think worship is so Psalm 95 verse 6 oh come let us Worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The Psalms were written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word that's translated worship means literally to prostrate yourself, to, to lay yourself on the ground in front of somebody in honor and, and homage. Homage? Homage. I'm not sure. <laughs> One of those two. Uh, it is, it's a physical act of expressing the worthiness of another. Which we could then say, it, 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 worthiness is something we sense first in our hearts, and then we express with our bodies. So, so worship, we would say, is first an attitude of the heart. It's prostrating yourself, prostrating your heart. It's an attitude of exalting, praising, glorifying, magnifying, lifting high, revering God. Bowing down, then, in Psalm 95, verse 6, is the physical expression. That is, we, we worship God with our bodies. Worship God with our bodies. We kneel in contrition. We raise our hands in praise. We stand in honor. We sit in silence. As the psalmist says, we make a joyful noise. Worship of God is not something you watch. It's not something you even consume. It's something that you do. And that's not even a good word. It's something that you participate in. Then the Hebrew word translated kneel in Psalm 95, verse 6. This fascinates me. I wish I knew more about Hebrew. But in Psalm 95, verse 6, that word that's translated kneel is most commonly translated as bless. I'm not, I don't know enough about Hebrew to know why. (laughs) That's a pretty big leap in my mind, but uh, I'm sure it's, there's reason. Um, blessing the Lord in the Old Testament is to express favor and pleasure and, and happiness. So perhaps the kneeling here in Psalm 95 verse 6 has more to do with the state of your mind, state of your soul, than with your knees hitting the ground. So that, that, that's included. So we could say, just to summarize, worship then is the expression of heart, body, and mind to the Lord. So, so, when I ask, what do you think worship is? I, I should also ask them, are all of those present in your worship? Do, do you participate in worship? Now, it's cultural. I understand. We're a very dignified people, right? Our church is quite, I don't know what the right word is, subdued. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? I'm just saying we could probably learn something from David, who, as and I didn't get this in your notes, but Samuel, First, Second Samuel, six, fourteen, says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. That's stretch, right? So just think on that. Just think on that. So I, I've heard worship described. Sort of narrowing in on a definition here, as worship described as going hard after God. And I like that. that that's really good. Except I think that it's a little bit incomplete. Because the highest goal of worship, or worship is both going after God and receiving from God. Like, the things that we do in worship are means to an end. And the end is that we would receive from God His blessing, His grace, His love. And the way that we receive those things from God is through His Word. That's why verse 7 Ends with this little phrase ties into verse 8. Today, if you hear His voice. So, so do you think of worship as hearing from God? And, and not just that, like, oh, good, we read the Bible, so we're good to go. But, like, hearing, listening, taking it into your mind, down into the depths of your heart. Or is worship just about what you feel or what you like, or even just what we do. I mean, isn't the real question of worship, what did you hear from God today? This is why our worship must be biblical. That is not just obedience to biblical commands, but it must be infused with the Bible so that our prayers, our songs, our readings, our creeds, our sermons should mostly be us Saying God's word back to him and saying God's word to each other so that we would hear God's voice. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He illumines the word of God to us that we would hear the voice of God. So, what do you think worship is? Question number three How do I come to worship? How do I come to worship? I, I honestly think maybe maybe again maybe this is cultural I don't know but but I think the most practical thing that you can do to address your heart in worship is preparation preparing your heart for worship so Psalm 95 there's three instances of the word come one one writer that I read on this pointed this out to me and I thought this was fascinating um, that each of those three words and they're all different Hebrew words represents the Progress of an ancient Israelite approaching the temple for worship. So let me walk you through these. Verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. This is a, an invitation from far away. So the temple's in Jerusalem. Maybe you live up in Galilee where Jesus was from, 70 miles away. And you hear this. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. It's an invitation. It's, it's setting the direction towards where you're going. Verse 2. Let us... Come into his presence with thanksgiving. This is this is the approach, right? So you've you've heard the invitation, now you've arrived. You, you, it's, it's almost as if you're at the door. You're about to enter into a new place. If you take your mind back to that ancient Israelite, like you, you see the temple, you're in Jerusalem, you're walking towards it. That's the come, let us come into his presence. Almost there. Then verse 6. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. This is the entrance. This is when entered the room, we're, we're here, we're worshiping, we're, we're, we're in the action. That describes a preparation for worship. So let, let me ask, when do you set your direction towards worship? Have you even thought about that? When, when does the, the, the gears in your mind shift from Monday through Saturday into the Lord's Day? I just, I'm going to give you my advice. You can take it or leave it. But I do think that this can be a most blessed time. My advice is shift your mind. Hear the call to worship on Saturday night. Our family tries to make Saturday night's meal a little bit of a feast, preparing our hearts for worship. Do this, set, set, do, do prayers for worship on Saturday night. Set out your clothes. I, I wrote in my notes, go to bed early. I did not go to bed early last night, so you have to forgive me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, but, but do that. Like Prepare a special breakfast or maybe just a really simple breakfast because it might be a little easier. Uh, take the scenic route to church. I mean, all these things are things you can do. Sing and pray and rejoice as you come to worship, as you hear an invitation. Right? Then you get here. You come to the door. Prepare yourself to be unrushed pray, to leave behind the world and its cares, and be focused on the Lord. Like It is difficult to worship if you arrive flustered and hungry and without your Bible, barely enough time to slide into your seat, and then realize you didn't grab a bulletin, so you got to get up and go get one. And, like, I'm not saying that I didn't watch anybody who did that today. So just, just saying, like, I've done that a hundred times. So we, we all know this, it's hard to worship. And then when you, when you actually hear, are you fully engaged? When you hear God's call to worship, do you hear the Lord saying, come, worship me? I know that preparation for the Lord's day is not easy. And I firmly believe that Satan makes it very hard on us. But we can fight back valiantly when we make worship the highlight of our week and not just a hiccup in the middle of everything else. I mean, there's a reason that that some Christians do not worship every week. I think one of the main reasons is that they're not prepared for it. Perhaps if your heart seems stifled by worship, perhaps the biggest change that needs to happen is long before 10 a.m. on the Lord's Day. Now I'll call on you men to lead in this. Lead your families in this. Set the tone, brothers, for how your family will worship the Lord. Make worship the priority of your week. Which, men, means we got to set aside our projects and our hobbies and our days off. Lead our family to worship. Men, lead your family in making it the most happy day of the week. Celebrate with great joy. Women, I call you to then joyfully submit to your husbands in this. Help them get the family ready. Use the gifts that God has given you to infuse the preparation of worship with beauty and dignity. Encourage your husbands when they lead well. Correct them when they don't. Children, kids, you can prepare for worship. Joyfully submit to your parents. Obey your parents as they prepare you for worship. Kids, which means go to bed on time. (laughs) You've heard that from the pastor. You guys, parents, you can play that card next week, right? Go to bed on time. Get your things ready, kids. Be helpful on Sunday morning. Like, listen to your parents as they instruct you on how we worship. And kids, I mean, look forward to what a fun day. You get to see a lot of your friends that maybe you didn't see during the week. You get to sing psalms, songs. Preparation makes a big difference with our hearts. So how, how do you come to worship? Question three, how do you come to worship? Question number four. With whom do I worship? Again, starting in verse 1, listen to this emphasis. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And then again down in verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Worship is not an individual activity. I mean, that isn't to say you can't have personal, private worship. You absolutely can and should. It's a wonderful thing to do. But in the Bible, worship is supremely a communal activity. Worship is when the people of God gather for the praise of God to hear the Word of God. So, maybe a more pointed question, what role does your church family play in your worship? What role do the people that you worship with play in the worship that you do? Now, I think that if we just like beeline, we might say, well, we ought to be selfless, right? Which is true, right? We we ought to, as Paul would say, consider the needs of others as greater than our own. Absolutely. Because we've been As I've been just pounding for weeks and weeks and weeks in 1 Corinthians 1, we have to be unified and strive for unity in Christ. Absolutely true. But notice that the language of Psalm 95 takes a little bit different course. In Psalm 95, worship is more about joining the people of God. It's about being the congregation. Psalm 95 emphasizes Togetherness. Is your heart eager to be together, to sing together, to pray together, to listen together? I think the biggest uh, test of this is when we sing and when we recite. That is, these moments in our congregation where all the voices are involved. Would you sing with joy so that others would be invited to sing with joy? When we do these, these... we recite the statement of faith or we we say amens or we say thanks be to God like would you do these with with confidence and truth and genuine joy so that others would do the same like of course we we won't we won't worship if we just drone on with chanting that's easy that's not together I think then the sweetest expression of our togetherness in worship is when we take the Lord's Supper we serve each other We wait for each other. We eat and drink together as people united by the body and blood of Christ. An effective way, then, to excite your heart for worship is to see worship as an act of love together with your church family. So ask yourself, with whom do I worship? Question number five. This maybe gets more to the point of verses 8 through 11. What threatens to harden my heart. What threatens to harden my heart? Now, if I was preaching a more typical sermon on Psalm 95, I would have spent time explaining the situation at Massa and Meribah, what sits behind those verses. Uh, we read it in Exodus 17. And if, if you want a more complete New Testament handling of it, go read Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Um, but, but the point, I think you can see the point is evident. What we're supposed to do in light of those events is check our hearts Guard our hearts against being hardened. That is to say, God points out in Psalm 95 a bad example of a hard, straying heart. Verses one through 7, notice, call us to worship. Verses eight through 11 warn us graciously of the potential to have hard hearts in worship. So what threatens your heart in worship? Well first, sin, evil, rebellion, unbelief. If worship is difficult, start by confessing your sin and clinging to the cross of Christ. That's why we, we start our servants services with a confession of sin, with an assurance of your pardon. The remedy is, to, is, is faith and repentance. The remedy is hating sin and loving Christ. Second, quarreling threatens your heart. Quarreling those words, if you go back and look at that story in, in Exodus 17, uh, where they named the place Massa and Meribah, Meribah is a Hebrew word that means quarreling. So if, if worship is supremely communal, then conflict and bitterness and anger and division in the family of God, you better believe that will stifle worship. This is why Jesus would commend us in Matthew 5, if you've got an issue with your brother, leave your gift at the altar. Go make it right. Perhaps if your heart is struggling to worship, you need to apologize to someone. You need to forgive somebody. You need to reconcile. Our heart is threatened by quarreling. Third, testing the Lord threatens your heart. So there you go. Meribah means quarreling. Massa means testing. So in the story, right, when people were thirsty, they needed water. And what they were doing is they were questioning whether or not God was with them. That, that was the issue. Is God going to actually give us water? The question in the hearts of the Israelites is, is the Lord among us or not? That is the pinnacle of pride. That's why God considers it a test. Right? Testing the Lord is forgetting God's good work because you're too focused on yourself. Verse 9, God says, your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So so if worship just eh, it doesn't work for me, or if worship doesn't get you going or make you feel alive or whatever other complaint you may have towards the Lord, oh, in a way, aren't you really looking at God and saying, are you here or not? Are you going to do your thing or not? If you come to worship with demands, you should expect silence from God. The consequence for Israel in the wilderness then, we see in verse 11, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You cannot experience the rest and joy and peace that you have in Jesus Christ if your heart is hard in worship. So what threatens to harden your heart? Now I would hope with those five those five questions, I've got one more, that, that the Spirit would do some heart surgery on you as He has with me to carve out the cancers of pride and selfishness and consumerism. And I'd hope maybe, because I, I just feel like this is a little, little harsh, I hope that God is good to fill your heart with a renewed desire to come, come, come. If I spoke Hebrew, I would say three different words, but I don't. I speak English. Come, worship the Lord. So, question six. Will I worship the Lord? Will you worship the Lord? And, and brothers, sisters, don't wait until you've adequately cleaned up your heart to do it. We are Christians we don't come to worship to God be- worship God because we've cleaned ourselves up and made ourselves ready and now God will accept us. We worship because our hearts were sick with sin. We worship because when we were sinners, Christ died for us. We worship because our hearts have been made new. We worship because Christ has filled our hearts with the Holy Spirit. We worship because even when we as Christians sin and complain and test, God has enough grace in Jesus Christ to give us, to love us, to bring us in again and again and again. Like, the best thing you can do if your heart feels stifled or if your heart feels hard or if your heart feels cold is to worship the Lord, to cling with all your heart to the gospel, right? to run back to the beginning of Psalm 95 and sing to the Lord, to make a joyful noise, to make a joyful noise with songs of Praise. We make, we we sing to Christ, not because our hearts are perfectly soft and perfectly pure, but because Christ is the one who softens our hard hearts and who purifies our sinful hearts. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for God's love shown to us in Christ. Thanksgiving for God's mercy towards our sin. Thanksgiving. To God's grace in our weakness, like thanksgiving for God's patience in our immaturity. If your heart is struggling to worship, you block out 10 minutes on the Lord's Day morning and just be thankful. Come thankful. Let us worship and bow down, verse 6. Let us kneel before the Lord. with all the exhortations to loud shouts of thanksgiving, with my subtle hint that maybe some of us should dance for the Lord. I hope I don't regret that. (laughs) But maybe not, certainly not. It's the word of God, I don't regret it. Um, You know, the cross and the resurrection of Christ are places of great joy, and they are places of great seriousness. They're places of great sobriety. The Christian life is both joyous and dignified. Those aren't in in contradiction with each other. It is good to be humble. It is good to be thoughtful. It is good to be slow. It is good to be contrite. My, My goal isn't that you would come to worship more excited, it's that you would come to worship with real reverence and real joy. And that we would ultimately come to rest. I mean, the warning of Psalm 95 is if you don't worship, you don't get rest. If your heart is hard, you don't get rest. The Israelites don't get Sabbath. They didn't get the promised land. right? But, but the Lord Jesus Christ has died to give us rest. He has given us new life. He brings us into the new heavens and the new earth. A promised land that will never be taken away and never fade away. In Jesus Christ, and this is, this is Hebrews 3 and 4, you have entered. That rest. So praise him like people in the promised land. My hope is that the forms of our worship would lead us into rest and praise. That the forms of our worship would excite our hearts to receive from God, to go after God, to worship God. Let's pray. Father, we admit, we, we acknowledge that we do not fully understand or fully obey exactly how you may want us to worship all the time, always. We are not perfect, and yet, God, we don't expect to come to you perfect. We, we come as sinners forgiven by Christ, and in that sense, God, we do come to you exactly how you want us. Father is seeking worshipers. Those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we cling to the hope of the gospel that You have filled us with Your Holy Spirit who teaches us the truth of Christ. And so we worship God, not because we've figured out the forms and we've cleaned up our hearts, but we, we worship because Christ has welcomed us in. God, I do pray for our church, our brothers and sisters, those here, those who weren't here this morning, Perhaps the next season of our church ministry, the next few months or years of clarifying our forms of worship would be matched and overwhelmed with hearts that love to worship. Hearts that are eager to hear from you. Hearts that love one another. Hearts that long to for Christ, hearts that enjoy You. God, I pray that worship in our church would be both biblical and heartfelt. I pray that You would teach us all, that You would convict us where we are sinning, that You would encourage us where we are experiencing the joy of the Lord. And God, may You be honored and glorified in this. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.